Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis with Bible Interact. I have been exploring in the last few sessions who will be saved. This question has not troubled me because I've, I've, I've come to a conclusion, but one of our viewers posed this question to me and, and shared with me privately that she was very troubled by this question, who will be saved. I think there are two aspects of the question. First of all, there are Gentile believers in Christ who will be saved. And there are several possible interpretations that answer that question, which I'll address in just a minute. But the other question has to do with Israel. Will all the children of Israel be saved? Will only some be saved? Do they have to believe in Yeshua to be saved? What if they lived before the coming of Yeshua? Do they have to believe in the coming of Yeshua? So these questions are are out there. Now you may feel very comfortable with these questions, but I what I want to do is I want to take a look at the three different possible interpretations. Now, I think whenever someone asks you a question and you need to answer that question, you you can't do it from you're the source of truth because the Bible is the source of truth and you may be giving an interpretation that perhaps is is different from someone else's interpretation. So when you do a study like this, and I had to do a careful study before teaching on it, you have to take a look at all the different possible answers. Don't just camp on an answer. You you look at the different possible answers and have compassion with people who have drawn these other conclusions than you have. And then once you understand that you you know you've got to dump out of your mind your interpretation your tradition your understanding dump it out take a look at at the possible answers and then you go into scripture and you search the scriptures there now what i'm going to do in this session is i'm going to talk first about the different possible answers and i think we need to know those different different possible answers to be able to feel compassion with people who are asking this question and before the end of the session i will give you my the sort of the, my thoughts the thoughts that I have come to now I'm not going to conclusively prove it in this session because I don't have time so in the next session I'm going to go to scripture and I'm going to prove to you that there are in fact two aspects of salvation and we get confused we tend to to focus on one and not really understand the other and connect the two when they really are quite separate so what do I mean by two aspects of salvation the first aspect of salvation I've actually taught on here on, on this radio program, and that is rescue, deliverance, salvation from death to life. And I did one teaching on Israel. What is this salvation for Israel? Now, I, I will explain that that for Jews, they don't even use the word salvation. They don't even use the word saved. And that's that's tied up with, with what I was trying to explain. 
The Jews are, if we use the word saved, rescued, delivered from death to life. That occurred at the time of the Passover in Egypt, when death passed over the blood of the Lamb. And then what followed was that God, actually it came before, God said, Israel is my firstborn son, meaning all the children of Israel are my firstborn son. I presented a paper to the Society of Biblical Literature showing from Scripture that that meant all Israel, because Rashi concluded that it, it was um, that Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. But that is, in fact, the Midrash, where the, the Peshat, the simple plain meaning, the literal meaning, means all the children of Israel, and you can get that from, from the text um, in Exodus. So all the children of Israel were rescued from from death to life. Now, I like to replace the word saved with who belongs to God. Because if you belong to God, he's not going to throw you out. You may not be walking in his ways right now, but he's not going to throw you out if you belong to him. And at some time in the future, you will be able to come into his presence. You cannot come into his presence now in a sinful condition. Now, it is possible for us with the gift of the Holy Spirit to come into God's presence from time to time. <laughs> Not all the time, but it is possible from time to time. And um, and we can do that with the gift of the Holy Spirit. But, but typically now, we cannot come into God's presence because we are in a sinful condition. But at some time in the future, we will be able to do that. So I replace the word saved with who belongs to God. We ask the question, do all the children of Israel belong to God? Do only some of them belong to God? And in a former teaching, I drew the conclusion that all the children belong to God. He calls them his father. He says they are his firstborn son. And there are many passages that that lead you to this conclusion that all the children of Israel belong to God. Now you get into the the New Testament, and um, Gentile believers are not Jews, but they have been added into the family of God by their faith in Christ. They now belong to God because they believe in his son. The Jews didn't have to believe in his son. They simply came in because God tapped them on the shoulder and said, you're mine, and I'm your father, and you're my firstborn son. And then he rescued them from death to life. So the Passover is that first aspect of salvation, and it leads to belonging to God. Now, for Gentile believers, the original Passover in Egypt points forward to the blood of the Lamb, the death and resurrection of Yeshua, so that when we believe in him, we have that promise of life at some time in the future. Now, instead of saying you're saved, practice saying, I belong to God. I belong to God. And at some time in the future, I'm going to be with him. All right. Now, what I want to do now is I want to talk about the second aspect of salvation. The second aspect of salvation is walking in life now. You are either walking in death or you're walking in life. If you are doing anything contrary to God, you are dying, you are walking in death, you are not taking advantage of the life that God has made available to you now. So by walking in his ways, which is why he gave Israel the law, by walking in his ways, which is why he brought the gift of the Holy Spirit to those with faith in Christ, by walking in the ways of the law, we can walk in the life that he has made available for us. And we can 
leave behind the 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 consequences of sin. Now, the consequences of sin, number one, is death, but number two consequence is pain and suffering. Sin and the ways of the world brings upon us pain and suffering. We may think we're happy. You know, we've we've got a big house. We have two-car garage. We have new cars. Our kids are going to college. We think we're happy, but in fact, this is not true life. True life is to be connected to God through our Lord Yeshua, to be connected to the Father through our Lord Yeshua, to be connected, to walk in, in that harmony, in that peace. And then we get the fruit. We, 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 our lives become lives of peace. You know, we don't go through these great crises. Uh, you know, we, we don't have depression. We don't have this, this grieving. Now, depression can also be caused clinically, but but we can bring depression upon ourselves as as a consequence of the world. So the second aspect is life now. It's walking in life. It has nothing to do with whether you belong to God or not. It has nothing to do with the this concept of future salvation. Replace it with belonging to God. It has nothing to do with belonging to God. It has to do whether whether God's children are taking advantage of what God has provided so that they can walk in life in harmony with God now. That's the second aspect of salvation. Now, what I want to do is, uh, very briefly, I want to take a look at uh, the different possible interpretations. Um, and this has, and these are interpretations in Christianity. Um, let, let me back up and just say that as far as Jews are concerned, since they belong to God, their focus is on daily living. <laughs> you know, they're not worried about whether they belong to God or not. It's very clear in Scripture that God is their father, they're his firstborn son. They belong to God, so they can concentrate on daily living. But uh, for Christians, they stumble on this question, do they belong to God, and therefore there is not this emphasis on daily living in Christianity. The emphasis is, you know, on being saved and, and bringing people to Christ. That's the emphasis. So let's take a look at the different interpretations. All right, there are three. One says that you're saved by grace through faith alone. Sometimes this is described as once saved, always saved. This tends to be the evangelical position. It was originally started by Martin Luther, and 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 so there's it's not by works that you're saved but by faith by your faith in Christ that's how you are saved now let me just go through the three and then we'll stop and I'll give a little more information about them the second one is yes of course you're saved by faith but true faith results in a life of works which is visible fruit so you're not being saved by works but if you're not bearing fruit for God, you're not really believing. So the second position says, yes, faith alone saves, but it has to be sincere faith. If it's sincere faith, then you will be be bearing fruit for God. Uh, you'll, you know, you'll, it's just, so it's, yes, you're saved by faith, but it has to be sincere faith. All right, now the third position says, and this is one that's fairly new. It cropped up about 20, 25 years ago. And uh, uh, MacArthur, I can't remember his first name, made made it possible, uh, made it uh, very, um, he presented it, and it's become very popular. And that is that you must accept Jesus as both Lord and Savior. 
Lord means to make him the boss. He's the ruler. He's the boss. And you submit in obedience to him. This is called lordship salvation. So you're only saved if you make Jesus Lord in your life. So we have three positions. Saved by grace through faith alone, which is once saved, always saved. It has to be sincere faith, which means you have to be bearing visible fruit. Otherwise, your faith is not sincere. And the third is lordship salvation. You have to make Jesus Lord in your life in order to be saved. Now, what I want you to do is whichever one is your position, I want you to dump it out of your head. Just dump it out and have compassion and consider these three possible positions because they all can be proven from Scripture. The first one originated by Luther. For example, in Ephesians, we read, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not as a result of works that no one should boast. It is simply by faith. And then we read in the Gospel of John, and this is Yeshua talking, God, no it's not, this is a um, uh, a commentary. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now that eternal life again is all caught up with theological trappings but it simply means that that you will be able to stand in God's presence at some time in the future. That's all it means. And then I'll, I have a couple more I want to read to you in Romans. Uh, good old Paul says, The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift. You just believe and you have the free gift. And then in Revelation, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. This is refer referring to a future time. This is the future. And the future says, just just come. All you have to do is come. And you come, and you're, you're not, never going to be thirsty again. And, and you're going to take the water of life. Just come. That's it. Just come. And that's pointing to some time in the future. So there are many passages in Scripture that will support this, this interpretation that faith alone gives you... Um, um, a participation in God's family. He becomes your father. You're you're part of his family. You belong to him. You belong to God. And because you belong to God, he's not going to throw you out. Uh, you know, this whole concept of, of divorce. If you go into the divorce passages in the Hebrew scriptures, you know, they'll say, just repent, just repent. <laughs> and if you go into divorce in the New Testament, it's using halakhic midrash, and you can't just read it literally. So divorce simply is an indication of how we separate ourselves from God. God does not separate himself from us. We separate ourselves from God by sin. When we repent, repent means change. That's what the word means. So that we get that sin out of our lives and we come back into harmony with God and we are no longer separated or divorced from God. We're back in harmony with God. It's, it, it's, you know, Hebrew is a very um, visual language and, and we, we can't use our Greek Western analytical mindset to get all of these things. And also Hebrew is pointing to deeper meaning. So once saved, always saved is, is very supportable in Christ. But what happened was that in our modern culture, we could take a look at the abuse of this grace. You know, this, this growth in individualism. I'm important. You know, I'm not going to submit to God. I'm important. Freedom without restraint. I can do what I want. 
our society has become secularized. We're no longer a, a society, a people, a culture that, that centers on God. There are tremendous abuses in the church. You see the church leaders doing things that are, are totally ungodly. And, and people have called this grace cheap grace. And therefore they say there must be something more. I mean, you can't just believe and then go out and do anything you, you want and belong to God. It It doesn't make sense. So... John Calvin was the one who promoted this concept that it had to be sincere faith. And in, to have sincere faith, you have to be bearing fruit. It, it has to be visible. And, for example, in the book of James, I think you'll recognize this one, What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? All right, now, if there are two, these two aspects of salvation, one is saving from life to death and the other is walking in wholeness i would i would suggest that this is referring to the second aspect walking in wholeness um in the next session i'm i'm going to have more time to go into this walking in wholeness but for right now let's continue to take a look at these different possible interpretations in romans we also hear what sounds like you have to have sincere faith that leads to fruit the righteous judgment of god will render to every man according to his deeds his works to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, they get eternal life. Well, that sure sounds to me like, you know, it's, yes, you have faith, but it has to be sincere faith that leads to works, that leads to fruit. And then, uh, let's see, I had a couple more. In First Corinthians, you are saved if, oops, there's an if, you are saved if, you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. That sure sounds like, you know, it has to be sincere faith. And then in the book of Hebrews, we have become partakers of Christ if, <laughs> another if, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. So there are th passages in scripture that, that make this second interpretation sound like a real interpretation. And now we go to the third one, which is lordship salvation. And by golly, there's a passage in Romans that it sure sounds like you have to make Jesus Lord to be saved. And it's the passage that's used by evangelicals to bring people to Christ. And yet it is pointing to lordship salvation. It's Romans 10, 9 and 10. If, <laughs> there's another if, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That That's a big if. And, and, and it's two things. You have to confess Jesus with Lord and you have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So it looks like there are two requirements. The first requirement is to believe. The second requirement is to make Jesus Lord. It has nothing to do with sincere faith. It has everything to do with becoming a disciple. And only disciples will be saved. Because disciples make Jesus Lord in their lives. They become disciples. So that's what John, it's John MacArthur. That's what John MacArthur is, has proposed. And it has become very popular that you have to make Jesus Lord. If you don't make him Lord, you're not going to be saved. And I have one other uh, verse I wanted to read to you along this line, and it's in the Gospel of John. And here are the words of Yeshua. Yeshua is speaking. He is speaking directly to you. And it says, If 
you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples or followers of me. And those disciples or followers are the ones who submit and make him Lord in their lives, which again is John MacArthur's position that you have to make Jesus Lord in order to be saved. So we have these three different positions and I conclude we have a dilemma. I'm not going to jump on any bandwagon. I don't want you to jump on any bandwagon. I also do not want you to run back to where you were comfortable. I don't want you to do it. I want you to go to scripture to to work on this. Now I'm going to give you just um, a, a little brief thought here about where I am and it has to do with the remnant. Now I have done a series of teachings on the remnant and you may have heard those here on the radio broadcast or you can go to BibleInteract.tv and you can find my teachings there on the remnant. But this all began when I was in Paul's letter to the Galatians. He was speaking allegorically and he made, he declared uh, five metaphors that made no sense. Now a metaphor is an extended symbol, so you get something uh, the wine is the blood of Christ. It, it's connecting wine, which is a red liquid, and we can identify wine with the blood of Christ the way we can identify bread with the body of Christ because these are recognizable uh, symbols in Scripture. But when Paul said, Hagar is Mount Sinai, there is nothing in Scripture that allows you to make a connection. Nothing. So that's a strange metaphor. And there were five of them. And then he contradicted Scripture four times. For example, he said, the children of Israel descend from Hagar, Gentile believers in Christ descend from Sarah. That is, that's an outright lie. It's not true. So in the Hebraic way of teaching, these are startling and puzzling. You're supposed to be startled. You're supposed to be puzzled. They act as clues to send you back into the Hebrew Scriptures. And what Paul Paul wants you to see is the inheritance of Israel. The inheritance of Israel is a special inheritance called the birthright to which the firstborn son was entitled. And and, and God calls all the children of Israel his firstborn son. They're entitled to the birthright. But they had to prove themselves worthy of the birthright or else they would not inherit it. It would go to another son. And we see that over and over again in the narrative that very clearly in um, Esav and Yaakov um, Esau was clearly born first. He was born to the birthright. He sold it to his, his younger brother Jacob, and, and then Jacob got the blessing because he had the birthright. But but he, he had to prove himself worthy. When God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, it was at that point that God said, you are worthy to inherit the birthright. So it was given to the one who was worthy. Um, uh, Jacob had 12 sons. Reuben was born to the birthright. He was the firstborn. It is very clear in First Chronicles chapter 5 that God removed the birthright from Reuben and gave it to Joseph. But the tribe of Reuben still inherited. They still inherited land in the promised land. Reuben and the tribe of Reuben still belong to God. They still belong to God. All the children of Israel, all descended from those tribes, belong to God. But only a few are being selected by God to be part of the remnant. Now, 
A lot of this confusion, I think, comes because we don't understand the concept of the remnant. The purpose of the remnant is not to choose who will be saved or who will not be saved. The purpose of the remnant is a leadership role that is going to occur at some time in the future. And that leadership role will lead to the defeat of Satan. And it is not all the children of Israel who are going to be in the army because they're not prepared to obey. You know, for an army to be victorious, it has to obey its commander-in-chief. And those who are prepared and worthy to submit in obedience will be there at the time of the final battle. They will be a remnant. So my work on the remnant is helping to unravel this this whole concept of, of who belongs to God and who doesn't belong to God. Now, we need to focus on how to walk in a way that brings us into harmony with God. And that's something that I'll, I'll address again because I'm, I'm, I'm running out of time here. But I, I want you to, to understand that there is more than one way to conclude, to answer the question, who belongs to God? And you need to be compassionate toward those three ways. And then you need to dump out of your head whatever you've been taught, and you need to go to Scripture to work on it yourself. Now, I will be working on it some more in these radio teachings, so I'll continue to tune in to the radio teachings. And if you do want uh, some more information, be sure and go to BibleInteract.tv. Uh, we're putting up all of our, our te- teachings, well, we're as fast as we can do them, which isn't super fast, but we're getting up new teachings. There are new teachings every month, at least some new teachings every month. By the way, we've just made the decision that we're only going to have a certain number of teachings. We're going to take some off as we put new ones on, you know, just like Disney has the vault. So we'll, so you won't be able to access everything all the time. So keep going back to Bible Interact. Um, dot tv to see you know what are the new teachings so that you can keep abreast and you also can sign up for our newsletter and we let you know what teachings are available there so i am going to leave you now with your the thought who belongs to god and we'll work on it more in future teachings shalom